the 27th of July. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we put our trust in you. You led your people through the sea dry shod. Let us put our trust in you as you lead us through this day's challenges. You fed your people in the desert. Let us hear your word of life amid the noise of our busy lives today. You gave your people water from the rock. Let us drink from the fountain of life and not from bitter and polluted waters. O Lord our God, you sent into the midst of faithless humanity the living bread, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to nourish and strengthen us on the road. Through the mystery of the cross, you poured forth upon us the Spirit, the water of life. Have mercy on our lack of trust and lead us in your ways today. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on, well, however you happen to be listening, you got it, originally from the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You're listening across a pretty awesome group of connected stations and apps and affiliates and such. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Father Robert Nixon continues our series on St. Ildefonsus of Toledo's Crown of the Virgin. Uh, We're basically looking at stars and flowers and things, jewels and stuff, that reflect the virtues of Mary. And today we get to talk about the biggest uh, thing so far, the moon, and uh, how the moon can symbolize Mary. Rita Heikenfeld talks about beef on Bible foods, so grill masters tune in. Andrew Swafford is part of Ascension Press's Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. We're going to look at the Book of Numbers. You may not be super familiar with what goes on in the book of Numbers, but it's a rather important book. It's right there at the beginning of the Bible. And then pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast will discuss how to adapt your parenting style as your children get older and how you should kind of grow it with them along the way. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Federal Reserve is no longer forecasting a U.S. recession this year. That's what Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told reporters after the central bank raised interest rates by another quarter of a percentage point yesterday. He said inflation has moderated, but there's still a, quote, long way to go to get it down to the 2 percent goal. Officials pushed rates to their highest level since 2001 while leaving the door open for future rate increases. It is the 11th rate hike since March of 2022, and it follows a pause last month. More than 100 million people across the U.S. are now under heat alerts. Mark Mayfield reports. Officials say that record-breaking temperatures will continue in the southwest because of a heat dome that's staying over the region. The heat wave will affect the northern part of the country this week, with New York City expecting record highs in the upper 90s on Thursday and Friday. Officials say that Philadelphia, Boston, and Washington, D.C. could experience dangerous heat, with the temperatures reaching the triple digits. I'm Mark Mayfield. A penicillin shortage has health officials considering whether to declare a possible public health emergency. With supplies of the drug tight, doctors have been rationing treatment. 
prioritizing pregnant patients and babies. The Department of Health and Human Services is putting together a task force to examine the issue. Declaring a public health emergency could free up some resources to help fight the problem. The Iowa Supreme Court is going to weigh in on the state's recent heartbeat law abortion ban. The high court announced Tuesday it will take up Governor Reynolds' request to allow the new law to take effect. A district court judge had temporarily halted the law, which bans abortion at the detection of a fetal heartbeat. Pro-abortion groups, including Planned Parenthood, had filed legal motions against the new law. The state Supreme Court will likely decide the issue during its next term, which runs from this September through June 30th of next year. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem says Christians in the Holy Land do not need special protection, only respect for their rights. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Vandalisms targeting churches, cemeteries and Christian properties, in addition to physical and verbal abuse against Christian clergy, have seen an upsurge in Israel in the past months amid ongoing political tensions within Israeli society and re-escalation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The most recent incidents have seen extremist Jews attempting to occupy churches in Haifa. Speaking to Vatican News, Cardinal-elect Pierbattista Pizzaballa confirmed that acts of religious intolerance are not new in Israel, but have significantly increased in recent times, especially in Jerusalem. According to the Latin Patriarch, the violence involves new generations of Israeli settlers in the occupied territories who have grown in a social-political context of violence and polarization fueled by some extremist religious leaders. The situation, said the Patriarch, is making Christian communities more and more nervous. However, he said Christians in the Holy Land don't want special protections, but only respect of the fundamental rights that a democratic state should guarantee to all its communities. Although the current Israeli government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is not per se anti-Christian, Patriarch Pizzaballa noted it has contributed to create a climate of tension and animosity in some circles of Israeli society. However, he said there are reasons of hope because these incidents have spurred strong reactions even from Jewish religious leaders. I believe that over time this awareness of the problem will bear fruit, the patriarch said. I am Lisa Zengarini. And the U.S. women's soccer, can I talk? The U.S. women's soccer team finished with a 1-1 draw against the Netherlands in its second World Cup group stage match. Lindsay Horan netted the tying goal in the 62nd minute yesterday in New Zealand. Team USA returns to action Tuesday against Portugal. Okay. I, uh... I maintain my my sports ethic that no game should end in a tie. Well, but, you know, I'm not in charge of such things. Oh well. In a well, in a group stage, I'm okay with it, especially okay. because I stayed up to watch the game, and the idea of going into extra time would have meant that I needed to go to bed and not get to see a thrilling end. So I was okay with it. Ending it's like when uh, it's like when when West Coast baseball happens, and I'm like, uh, yeah, sorry, I can't, I can't pay much attention to West Coast baseball. It doesn't start until after my bedtime. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. 
Thank you for the update, Anna Mitchell. Oh, you're welcome, Matt. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Hey, Matt. Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday, by the way, to a couple other people that our listeners might know. Today is also the birthday of one Tom Price from EWTN, who you hear on Call to Communion with Dr. David Anders, and it is also the birthday of Father Mitch Packwell. That is quite the trifecta. Yeah. We, uh, we'll split a cake three ways for you. Neat. Neat. Well, I'd Father Mitch is honest. barbecuing like a Zephyr or something. <laughs> I believe Tom Price is off today. He took it's his, his birthday, birthday off. He gets to sleep in. I'll have to rib him for it, though. It's good. Because you're not He's taking doing... your birthday off, Matt. Thanks for working on your birthday. Okay. I, I appreciate it. Today is Thursday, July the 27th. I really do appreciate Matt for working on his birthday. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Benedictine Monk at New Norcia in Australia. He's translator of the Tan Resurrection series. And we have been reflecting on the crown of the Virgin, an ancient meditation on Mary's beauty, virtue, and Sanctity by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Father, welcome back. Thank you very much, Eddie. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you back. And we are up to the 18th setting in, or sorry, yeah, the 18th setting in the crown of the Virgin in which St. Ildefonsus places the bright and refulgent moon. Now, the moon certainly an image that is has often been used in describing the Blessed Mother. Did Were there like certain ideas that people in the time of St. Ildefonsus had about the moon that could, that could help, um, yeah. help uh, us understand uh, this better? Absolutely. Absolutely, Eddie. And it was about at this time that this symbolism of the moon uh, representing the Blessed Virgin really came to the fore. And he points out three particular aspects of the moon, which he says makes it very appropriate for the moon to be placed as an adornment of this kind of conceptual crown, which St. Ildefonsus is fashioning as a sign of his devotion to the Blessed Virgin. And he says, I place the moon full and rank in your crown, that it may illuminate it with the pearl-like effulgence of its silver light. The moon indeed receives its own light from the supreme light and source of all light, the sun, and thus serves to illuminate the night. And I think this is the first point that even back in those days, they knew that the moon didn't actually issue light from itself, but that it reflected the, uh, the glorious light of the sun. And one of the things he talks about is how Mary reflects the uh, the wonderful light. And um, in the same way that to look at the sun can be almost overwhelmingly bright. Well, it is overwhelmingly bright because of, of, of its sheer magnitude and brightness. But the light which the moon reflects somehow is is softer and more gentle. And I think that is a very key point. Wow. And I think sometimes when we, we can, you know, we can almost be uh, filled with too much awe uh, in approaching God, a little bit of fear almost. But in approaching uh, Mary, the uh, divine power and divine love is reflected 
in this gentle and beautiful way, in the same way that the moon uh, never overwhelms us with its brightness, but is always uh, a subtle and gentle reflection of the sun. Now, another can I, Sorry, thing, can I jump during, in on that during, point for just a second here, Father? Because absolutely, um, there's, absolutely. A, there's a line in here that I've, I've been thinking about. Um, he writes, for you gaze upon the splendor of the true sun. And I was thinking about it. We uh, human beings are told by scientists to not look directly at the sun, right? We're, we're told that, that that will somehow hurt our eyes. It's not good yeah. for us. And yet she can, you know, like when you when you kind of take this metaphor over to the Blessed Mother, she can gaze right at the sun and and give us that reflection that you were just talking about. Absolutely. And and the reason she can gaze directly at the sun, um, the sun being God, is because the sun in another way, S-O-N, was also her own natural son was was her little baby and little uh, as as an adult she remained uh, still his mother so that she had this particular closeness of relationship and you know i think we we can imagine this in any situation where um, there might be a person who overawes everyone in the world but his own mother will always be able to um, you know, to be close to it. But I think that's yeah. the same. But in this particular case, we're talking about Jesus Christ, who was true God himself. So Mary's closeness to Jesus as his natural mother um, was also simultaneously a closeness to uh, to God himself, which I think is quite an amazing thought. And she was uniquely able to do that. She uniquely possessed that special relationship with God and for this reason, she reflects this this magnificence in her own being. And in that, she brings light to the darkness of night. Indeed, indeed. And, and this is one of the other, other characteristics. And this bringing light to the darkness of night is so important because so often in our own lives, we can feel as if we're surrounded uh, by darkness. And he expresses that uh, very wonderfully. He says, and thus you illumine the night of our sorrow. You put to flight the impulse to sin and refresh the barren soul with spiritual dew. And, you know, we think about the moon in the night. And one of the things which he mentions a little bit earlier, um, that uh, while exposing hours of darkness and repelling them from their nefarious deeds, I think that's a wonderful thing that um, this light, which is reflected by Mary, uh, puts any, any of the uh, evil thoughts or temptations and so forth, negativity which might be assailing us. So this is uh, one of the, of the wonderful characteristics which Ildefonsus is illustrating. Yeah, here. and we'll have to leave it there for time, but uh, I encourage you to go pick up a copy of The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo and translated by Father Robert Nixon. Father, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much, Annie. God bless you and God bless all of your listeners today. You as well, Father. Thanks. All right, we're coming up on 16 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. 
For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel like God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The Federal Reserve is no longer forecasting a U.S. recession this year, but they did raise interest rates by a quarter percent yesterday. The Iowa Supreme Court will weigh in on the state's recent heartbeat law. And the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has said Christians in the Holy Land do not need special protection, just respect for their rights news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the sunrise morning show uh anna mitchell um there are lots of things going on here as we transition from july into august Mm -hmm. uh there are lots of cool things on the calendar you know i got a a feast day wrong yesterday because um i mentioned that uh blessed titus bransma who was recently made into saint titus bransma Mm -hmm. was actually i said that Yesterday was his feast. Yesterday was actually the anniversary of his death. Today is his feast. Um, I don't see any really? big people that we're probably going to talk about on the calendar for the feast today. But tomorrow... The seven uh, sleepers of Ephesus today. Well, I mean, I can remember be, them. I mean, sleeping in Ephesus sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, um, one of the uh, the saints from the American Pipeline who has connections to... My state of Maryland is on the calendar for tomorrow, namely Blessed Stanley Rother. Oh, nice. I wanted to point him out because I'm not going to be uh, with you tomorrow. Yeah, you're going to see uh, your grandparents, right? I'm going to see grandparents. Um, well, the uh, um, I was just going to say that you, I don't know if you have like the tiny saints things for your family. They're like the little. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple of those. Got a couple of those. So Zeke's got two. He's got. Uh, 
He's got a Carlo Acutis one. He's got a Stanley Rother one. I can't even really? remember how or where we got the Stanley Rother one. Wow. But we've got one. Um, That's cool. At any rate, he is, uh, he is from the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, and he was uh, formed in seminary in Maryland. So we got an American on the calendar tomorrow. I just want to make sure that people pay attention. I I tend to root for the Americans. It's like it's like when uh, when well, it comes as you to should. World Cup stuff, as it were, Anna Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I just I want to see a good game from everybody. Mm-hmm. But I I root Team USA. Absolutely. Team USA. And well, over it is the weekend so we get Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So who are decidedly not Americans? They're not Americans. But incredible. The I love rooting for the Americans too because, I mean, yeah, we might be the the salad bowl of the world, you know, all of these different nationalities come into this this one country, but we have an American spirituality that, you know, there are some unique American qualities that we can learn from these saints who are Americans. Pray for us. For iced tea, if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. An act of love. Lord, teach me to love you as you deserve teach me to love you above all else. You created me to glorify you, and I glorify you by reflecting your image and likeness ever more fully. I glorify you not by my own might and striving apart from you, but by my humility, by my receptivity to your light, and by my response to your love. I love you because you are entirely good. It is you who enkindle my soul, who stir my will into act by giving me your own spirit of love. I want nothing but you, no love but yours to reign in my heart. Be my supreme love, my very love, that I may live in you and you in me. Nothing but you, Lord. I want to be filled with you, to see you, to taste and to know and delight in you alone. Not for my pleasure, but for your glory, now and forever. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Time for Bible Foods here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Always one of our favorite segments each week with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. Good morning, Rita. Well, good morning, Miss Annie. And I think uh, we're going to talk about beef today. And I have a feeling the recipe I'm going to be sharing is going to be perfect for you with the little ones to help. Oh, I am super pumped about this. <laughs> it looks in. Incredible. We are big fans of uh, Mexican food in the Egan household. So uh, just as a little tease for listeners who are also fans of uh, tacos and burritos, she's got a wonderful recipe 
to share. So let's talk about beef in the Bible. Proverbs 15, 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. Um, have you ever had ox before, Rita? <laughs> Not that I know of, but you <laughs> never know. You the never way know. we grew up, Lebanese, we ate. A lot of different kinds of animal protein, but it's funny because um, when I think of beef and my uh, thoughts go back to Luke in in chapter 15 about the prodigal son, which is a wonderful story most of us are familiar with about when he uh, finally got back home, his dad took a fatted calf, the best calf from the herd, to feed him. So um, that was a very special reason to take a, especially a small calf from the herd back then. Yeah, absolutely. And the Proverbs verse, you know, it's better to eat a salad if it's made with love than mm-hmm. to have like the big beef dinner made by somebody that is, you know, in a bad mood, I guess. <laughs> Love that verse. But uh, was beef common uh, during Bible days in terms of, of something that they ate? No, the rich people were um, could eat it, and the kings, but the, actually any the cows, and we just talked about oxen before, they were used basically for plowing the fields. Think of that. And they were just considered too valuable to be used for meat, especially on an everyday basis. But then again, like the fatted calf on special occasions, um, a calf was taken from the herd. It was usually a calf because it was more tender to be butchered and then roasted over an open fire. Nice, nice. Now, do you think um, people are eating more or less beef today? It all depends on the kind. Now, I grew up with lamb's liver. My husband grew up with um, calf's liver. And I don't think you're going to find either, you know, anywhere in the meat uh, section of the grocery today fresh. They're usually relegated to the frozen section. Um, But you know what? Um, Along with steaks and um, different cuts of beef and roast. I think ground beef, I don't know, you give me your opinion. To me, that continues to be the most popular because it's so versatile, can be super lean or marble with a little bit of fat for flavor. So um, I'm assuming you use a lot of ground beef in your cooking too, don't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I buy it in bulk when it's it's on sale at the grocery Mm -hmm. store so that I can have it frozen because it is. It's so easy to just pull it out and and just brown it for tacos even. Um, I'm wondering, though, what is your favorite kind of beef to cook or eat, Rita? Uh, Especially during the summer, the ground beef, um, because the recipe I'm sharing for the grilled beef burritos is so good, also um, hamburgers, and and we use, I use ground beef to make um, Lebanese stuffed zucchini, so um, yeah, we, it's just so, so versatile, and you know, beef is such a good source of bodybuilding protein, and here's the deal, people may not know, that the iron in beef, your body absorbs it very efficiently, so it's just a a good source of um, protein for our bodies just don't overdo as i always say you know what my newest favorite cut of beef is though what chuck roast okay so get this you just buy a chuck roast which is on sale all the time at the grocery store Mm -hmm. and you know you do salt and pepper and some flour and brown it and then Mm. you get up the little bits you know use soy sauce to get it up put it in the crock pot pour that um you know the soy sauce mixture from what's left over in the pan Mm -hmm. um in there and then add an onion, and that's it. You just cook it for, like, I don't know, six hours, mm-hmm. and it just falls apart. 
and you put it on. Uh, I like I like eating it on a bun, and you know how simple I am. I don't do a lot of ingredients, whereas Matt is the gourmet here. But <laughs> I basically soy sauce is my key ingredient for everything, Rita. That sounds so delicious, and especially just shredded up like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hungry now. I know. Well, me too. I'm always hungry when I'm talking to you. Uh, <laughs> so tell us your recipe for grilled beef burritos. Well, this is wonderful and something that if you're go- going camping, um, easy to pack, easy to tote, and then just um, warm on the grill ahead. Basically, I'll have the, the complete recipe on my site um, and also on your site on your e-newsletter with nice. Ryan Lopez, which is going to be fun. Um, basically, you're going to cook some ground beef, some onion, bell pepper, and garlic, just till the meat's brown and the onion's tender, any. Then you stir in a little bit of water, some chili powder, and cumin. When that water's evaporated, uh, you just take it off the heat. And then you're going to add some cooked rice and fresher canned chilies. Um, and then um, that's going to be the filling for um, a flour tortilla. So you just pile that in the center, and you top it with a little bit of cheese, and then you just fold the tortilla up, and then um, what, after we fold it up, we wrap that whole thing in foil, and then you can keep it in the fridge for a couple days, and then when you're ready to um, eat it, you can either warm it in the oven or pop it on the grill to warm throughout, and it'll get some grill marks on the bottom. Wow. Leave it in the foil. So delicious, so easy, and perfect for summer. Oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. That sounds like something I could do, Rita. I think you would be have fun with the little ones, get their little hands in there. Oh my gosh, I've never tried grilled burritos before. I know, it's a Will little is, different. It's um, a little different. Will is going to be thrilled about this. This is such a good idea. You can find it, again, at abouteating.com. And Rita mentioned our uh, e-newsletter. You can sign up for that at sunrisemorningshow.com. Rita, it was so good to talk to you. Thank you. Same here, sweetheart. I'll talk to you soon. I look forward to it. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show, it's time for news. The Federal Reserve is no longer forecasting a U.S. recession this year. That's what Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told reporters after the central bank concluded its meeting, raising interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point yesterday. He said inflation has moderated, but there's still a, quote, long way to go to get it down to the 2% goal. Officials pushed rates to their highest level since 2001, while also leaving the door open for future rate increases. It's the 11th rate hike since March of 2022, and it follows a pause in June. More than 140 million Americans are under heat alerts as extreme temperatures linger across the U.S. Forecasters say the feels-like temperature accounting for humidity is expected to top 100 degrees from the Midwest into the Northeast. New York City will be under an excessive heat warning today and tomorrow as the city broils in its hottest temperatures of the year so far. In Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, the feels-like temperatures are expected to reach 100 degrees as well. Extreme heat and high humidity are also expected in parts of Indiana, Minnesota, and Missouri, among other states. The White House is not saying much after Hunter Biden's plea deal involving tax and gun charges hit a snag yesterday. Mark Mayfield reports. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked several times about the case involving the president's son, but only said he's a private citizen and that it's a personal matter. 
She added that the president and first lady love their son and support him as he continues to rebuild his life. Hunter was expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor counts of willful failure to pay income taxes as part of a deal announced last month with the DOJ. But the judge said she was not ready to accept the deal and asked both sides to file additional briefs explaining the plea deal's legal structuring. The hearing ended with Hunter Biden pleading not guilty. I'm Mark Mayfield. Former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed is expected to make a full recovery after being wounded while fighting in Ukraine. The veteran, who was previously imprisoned in Russia, is now receiving medical care in Germany. State Department officials say Reed was not engaged in any activities on behalf of the U.S. government. He was arrested in Moscow in 2019 for intoxication and sentenced to nine years in prison. He was released in a prisoner swap last year in exchange for a Russian drug smuggler. The president of the World Youth Day Foundation recently paid a visit to young people in the Holy Land who will be unable to travel to Lisbon next week. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The General Secretariat of Christian Youth in Palestine organized a mass in Bethlehem on the 22nd of July, presided over by the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal-elect Pierre Battista Pitabala, with Cardinal-elect Aguiar. The Holy Father has repeatedly made appeals for an end to the ongoing violence in the region and for peacemaking efforts, constantly expressing his closeness to those suffering. The future Cardinal cited reasons for his visit to the Holy land, including the Pope's words of advice. Cardinal-elect Aguiar said the first reason is to fulfill a promise I made to the young people who came from the Holy Land to Lisbon to prepare for the pilgrimage. I told them that before the World Youth Day, I would find time to visit them, and here I am. The other reason, he said, involves what Pope Francis has always told me. Don't forget those who cannot come to Lisbon. I made that effort, he said. The future cardinal had also made a special visit to bring his closeness to young Ukrainian faithful earlier this month. Cardinal-designate Aguiar said that these young people are an example. Because of their resilience, he said, they are able to overcome all the obstacles we see, dialogue, and encounter, despite everything, he said, are possible. In his homily, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal-elect Pizzabala, referred to the large participation of the young people from the Holy Land this year in the World Youth Day, noting, they estimate some 90 from Jordan, 50 from Galilee, 200 from Palestine, and 20 for the first time from Cyprus. The patriarch invited the young Catholics to invest their time in doing good, despite the many injustices they witness in their lives. Cardinal Aguirre also visited some of the craft workshops that made thousands of rosary beads to be distributed to World Youth Day participants. This project, carried out by Caritas Jerusalem, provided employment for many families in the city of Bethlehem. I'm Deborah castellano Government figures show sales of new single-family homes saw a 2.5% decline from last month. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single-brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The chief intention that we must have in going to communion should be to advance in the love of God. Communion should strengthen and comfort you in this love. Receive with love the gift of love. There is no more loving or more tender gift of the Savior than this. Here he annihilates himself, so to speak, and changes himself into food, so that he may fill our souls, intimately uniting himself to the heart and body of the faithful person. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour, you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show Andrew Swafford. He is co-author of a Catholic guide to the Old Testament, continuing our Old Testament Bible study. And I hope you've picked up a copy. But if you haven't, you can find it at AscensionPress.com/slash/OldTestament. Andrew, welcome back. Uh, So good to be with you, Annie. It is good to have you. So today we are talking about the book of Numbers in the Pentateuch and therefore attributed to Moses again. And, you know, Andrew, last time we talked to you about how you kind of lose the narrative in Leviticus, and then this is where we pick it up again, right? So I know it has a different name in Jewish tradition. I learned that reading this in uh, the Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. Why do we, as Catholics, call it the Book of Numbers? Well, it, it, that's, I mean, it makes sense to call it Numbers because of the uh, census given in Numbers 1 and Numbers 26, the kind of bookends the book in terms of—and this is you know, part of uh, okay, well, how many— Israelite uh, men uh, of fighting age are there, and this is part of the backdrop of be fruitful and multiply and how Israel is doing. So that, that's where the book, uh, the name Numbers came from, is Numbers 1 and Numbers 26, the census taken uh, of the people. And what is it called in Jewish tradition? Yeah, Bamidbar, which literally means in the wilderness. So Jew- the Jewish names of texts typically, uh, t- it's either the first word, kind of like our encyclopedia, the first word or like the, oh. an opening word in the first line. Uh, but Midmar means in the wilderness, and it, that is also a fitting name to capture the ethos of the book, because physically they are in the wilderness journeying towards the Promised Land, but also spiritually they are very much in the wilderness. It's a, it's a low point for ancient Israel. Yeah, okay. So kind of take us through the timeline of the major events that take place in, in the Book of Numbers, in the wilderness. Yeah, so here we are, uh, Numbers, uh, by the time you get to Numbers 10, verse 11, 
we're told we're in the second year after the exodus. And so this is all taking place at Mount Sinai as part of that Levitical renewal after the golden calf. And Numbers 10, 11, they finally set out for the promised land. And plan A is to go after that one-year kind of rehabilitation uh, program with Leviticus is to enter the promised land. The 40-year wandering is not yet on the table. And then what you have uh, in Numbers 13 and 14 is these 12 spies are sent into the promised land, uh, 10 of whom come back scared. They say, yeah, the land's great, flow with milk and honey, but there's these people there, and we can't do it. We want to go back to Egypt, and the people buy into that. And only Joshua and Caleb are the only faithful spies to say, look, we're, we're not here because we're so strong. We're here because God is faithful. And if God is with us, we can go in. Uh, but the people accept the testimony of the 10, and they say, we don't want to go in. And the Lord basically says, fine, you don't have to. You'll wander one year per day. The spies were in the land, 40 days, 40 years. And, and so the 40-year wandering is really given after this uh, kind of apostasy in Numbers 13 and 14. Wow. What a depressing story, Andrew. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, oh, go ahead. Well, it's our story. I mean, that's that, the church sees in the Book of Numbers. This is this is our story, right? So it's 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 about them, but it's also a mirror to our present. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So let's pick up on the major themes that we need to pay attention to as we read through this book. Yeah. So I mean, there's a series of rebellions, a series of testings where the, the Israel you know tests the Lord and, and the wilderness wandering. They're testing the Lord, but it's also a testing of them. And the Lord tests us not to see, okay, are you going to pass? Am I going to fail you or pass you? Rather, the testing is really a way to mature us, to mature our love. But maybe fast forward to Numbers 25. Uh, well, really, there's a great icon- iconic scenes. Numbers 20. And you see a lot of parallels between Israel leaving Egypt and Exodus and things happening again with the next generation in Numbers 20, uh, Numbers 25. So 25 is this famous Baal Peor incident, which is really Golden Calf 2.0. These are the children of those who came out of the Exodus, and it's a similar sin with sexual immorality and idolatry. And as Leviticus was added after the golden calf, so too the context for Deuteronomy is really given in response to this iconic fall in Numbers 25 in the mm-hmm. plains of Moab. So it's, it's this, and St. Paul has this great line in Galatians 3.19 that the law was, quote, added because of transgression, that a righteous son or daughter doesn't need as many rules, but the more way where they are, the curfew comes down, the rules get added, and it's a way of, of the Lord trying to accommodate and come down to his children and meet them where they are. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you about how these themes are particularly important to St. Paul in his letters. Can you talk more about that, how, how St. Paul illuminates the book of Numbers for us as Christians? It totally does. I mean, First Corinthians 10 is, is really uh, the first 15 verses or so, kind of a disquisition on, on the, the, this movement from the exodus to the wilderness. And this is the template of salvation, right? So God has delivered us. We're in a new wilderness wandering. Will we make it to the ultimate promised land, which is heaven itself? And, and think about the manna. The manna uh, given in Exodus and then also in Numbers is precisely food for the journey, for after the exodus, in route to the promised land. The Eucharist is the new and heavenly manna given after the exodus, after the cross, in route to the ultimate promised land. And St. Paul says these things were written down for our instruction, um, because they are lessons for us where we fall in the wilderness as they did. And St. Paul sees that as having a lack of faith. And then Hebrews 3 and 4 does the exact same thing. It sees it the, the same way that this is, and the, this is so important for the reading of the Bible, too. It's not just about the past. It, yes, there's things that happen in the past, 
but why is this biblical revelation? Because this is this is a mirror to our to the life uh, to our life in Jesus, to the life of the church, and we all will go through this same pattern. If we ever see a sin that we're like, oh, I would never do that. I mean, just stop, slow down, say, come Holy Spirit, what might be similar in my life? Because it, again and again, we will see it, that it's not that different. Exactly, which is why we are doing this Bible study, to understand it in its proper context, and then to be able to properly apply it to the life of the church. And we've been doing that with Andrew Swafford on the Book of Numbers today. You can find a Catholic Guide to the Old Testament linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And Andrew, we'll look forward to rounding out the Pentateuch with you and the book of Deuteronomy next time we get together. Thanks so much. That sounds great. Thank you. You bet. 16 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Coming up next... Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, will join us to talk about how parents can transition in mind and soul, I suppose you could say, when uh, their children start to um, age into young adulthood. And I kind of joked that I would apply these lessons to, you know, my three-year-old who thinks he's 20. So I think there's some uh, some wisdom here that we can all apply no matter how old our kids are. So that's coming up next with our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is the expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 
today on More to Life, Carrying Your Cross. Challenges wearing you down. Let us help you rise up again. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. The Federal Reserve is no longer forecasting a U.S. recession this year. Announcing that as they also announced another quarter of a percentage point rate hike. The president of the World Youth Day Foundation recently paid a visit to young people in the Holy Land who are unable to travel to Lisbon next week. And the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has said Christians in the Holy Land don't need special protection, just respect for their rights. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, licensed counselor, former seminary professor as well. Kevin, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, this is something that you know I uh, will be very closely paying personal attention to, the idea of adapting your parenting style as your kids get older. A lot of parents can probably relate to this because parenting a baby in some ways is kind of easy. You don't sleep much, but you sort of know what you have to do. Once you, mm-hmm. Once they get a little older... The game kind of changes. So how do we need to adapt? Right, Matt, that's exactly it. So both our kids and us as parents, we go through developmental stages and our kids are a moving target, right? So we think we know what we're doing by the time they're, you know, little ones out of diapers, but then, you know, it keeps on happening. So a couple of things, a couple of points here, Matt, I think that as kids get to be teenagers and then young adults, that we can go to two extremes. Uh, We can say on the one hand, kind of the permissive laissez-faire, I'm done with my job, I'm gonna wash my hands, they're on their own now, I've done everything I can, right? And the other extreme, which is also not helpful, is to be what we call an an authoritarian kind of parenting style or controlling or micromanaging. And we wanna find some sweet spot in the middle. So our whole job, what, what's our job as parents is to, to get them ready to be launched and to be independent, uh, faithful adults, right? So we have to, so some questions here in the summertime as we're getting ready for school, whatever age our kids are, is to think about how much are we, which end of that spectrum are we, more on the permissive side or the authoritarian side? And what would it mean to try to focus on equipping my young person with skills? So the skills like just basic practical skills, like doing the laundry, taking care of the car, but the other skills of managing their emotions, uh, pausing and getting consultation to make good decisions, weighing the pros and cons, uh, resilient, self-reliance, those kind of concepts. Uh, how about time training. management? Yeah. yeah, time management. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. When I can't be there to say, hey, you know, here's a limit on how often you should do this or how long you should do this activity and you need to spend some time on that. I mean, I've... As parents, yeah. we get kind of nervous about what's going to happen with time management as these kids get older and have to make those decisions well, for themselves. Well, we do. But the difference there, Matt, would be, you know, again, another continuum would be, on the one hand, would be enabling. So I'm getting between my child and the natural consequences of my child's actions, especially as they're a teenager or a young adult. So I see parents who have gotten themselves into debt because they've got a college student who got a credit card and ran up an enormous amount of money they were not able to repay. And so the parents step in, 
and I've known parents not just once but twice and just take care of that debt where a kid gets in trouble with underage drinking while they're in high school or on the college campus or away and we rush out we get an attorney that we know we bail them out uh, we you know plead for them so we kind of take over we don't let them learn any. there's no learning that happens from that on the other side would be to have uh, particularly as we get to later adolescence young adulthood is the idea of being having an adult adult relationship a friend of mine uh, pointed this out to me when my oldest son was like 12 or 13 and was uh, you know very difficult we had a conflictual relationship but a great question he asked is what kind of relationship do you want to have with him 10 years from now and is what you're doing now making a good relationship more likely when he's 23 and not 13? And that was a great question. So I think what my friend was getting at is develop an adult-adult relationship where I, I really don't give advice most of the time that I try to listen. I'm a sounding board, but I can ask difficult questions. And, I, and my, my sons are in their 40s now, but we have those kind of conversations where I try to steer away from giving unwanted advice and try to get them to think like, well, have you thought about this? Or, you know, this is what I did in a similar situation, but you have your life. Uh, you know, who else could you talk to about this? What other information do you need? And that's more treating them like an adult. The other part here, Matt, is I think, and it ties in with marriage. So us as adults with our developmental stages at midlife and beyond, when our kids are launched. So you've heard me say this many times before, too many marriages are kid focused. Uh, so we love our kids, but they really should not be the number one priority. It really should be God, you know, uh, our marriage and then the kids and then everything else after that. And nobody wants to hear that. But I think that's really important in, in adolescence as kids are getting ready to launch is what's the tone of the relationship between me and my spouse? Are we are we doing the things we need to do to let go, to relinquish control and to build our relationship uh, as a couple? Or are we spending time together? Uh, somebody once said that the relationship between mom and dad are like the, it's like the atmosphere, the air that our kids breathe. Well, what are they breathing? Is it toxic atmosphere in the house? Or can they see that mom and dad keep growing in love? And then individually, and this is a spiritual dimension that we can ask God to say, okay, I've done my job, mission accomplished as best as I can up till they're 18 or 25. I'm, you know, I can't control them anymore. What am I going to do with my life? Like what else is God asking me to do? when we have this empty nest. So work on the marriage, obviously, but then what is God calling me to do? What's the new mission, the new vocation, the new call that I have at midlife in terms of service and not just living through my kids or my grandkids, which I think is that we love our kids and our grandkids, but it's not, it's not really the best thing in the world to make them the absolute be all and end all and priority. So to be available, but that adult-adult relationship, this is your life to live. I have to live my life. And I think kids do better, young adults do, if they see that mom and dad are doing okay. We've left the home. Mom and dad are not falling apart or frantically calling us three times a day, right? So when we try to over-control, really the root of that is fear. And the only solution to fear and panic about our kids is faith. So we have to, again, bring that back to the Lord. Uh, and, and think about you know our blessed mother. So she let go. So there were some things there that were very painful for her. Uh, and she was certainly there by Jesus' side. But you don't hear in the scriptures that she's trying to tell him 
how to be the savior and the Messiah. Right? Right, but like the closest so, you get to that is the wedding at Cana when she says, hey, they ran yeah. out of wine. <laughs> you know, well, she's ba- yeah, she's basically saying, hey, it's your your job. You're coming into this your is, own. This, so... I'm going to put you in the driver's seat on this one. Right? Yeah. Uh, I'm right. just want to so, let you know. But, you yeah. know, with that too, uh, Kevin, I mean, I find that mm-hmm. this, this is applicable in a whole bunch of different uh, areas of life. I know it is certainly in the world of evangelization. This applies also to our own kids, maybe, who are mm-hmm. struggling with issues of faith. Uh, mm-hmm. The strongest, uh, and I bet you a bunch of our listeners could could attest to these. The strongest, uh, you know, roots of faith happen in those areas where we were able to kind of come to those conclusions and discern those paths ourselves. Uh-huh. You know, take yep. ownership of it, as opposed to the stuff that was sort of just, you know, bequeathed to it, and we did it because our parents yeah. did it or our grandparents did it. Those things well, that we came to yeah. through our own struggles mm-hmm. and battles are the things that we hold mm-hmm. most firmly to. That's absolutely true, and I and I think you're making a good point that a lot of us are trying to break generational patterns. Like maybe my upbringing was not great, and so I kind of overdo it on the other side. Uh, but also, I can share with my kids, especially as they're teenagers and young adults, these were some challenges I had when I was in college or in the military, or struggling about a vocation or career. This is how I dealt with it. So that you know, kids perk up when you're telling a personal story, and it's really a story of faith how I use my faith to get through life and, and cope and be resilient. Well, and hopefully a great word of encouragement for any family who has maybe their teenager getting ready to head off to college, and it's their last summer at home before uh-huh. this really kind of gets into that next phase. Thank you yeah. so much, Kevin Prendergast. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. God bless, Matt. Again, you can find Kevin and all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. While you're there, uh, put in your email address to get show notes delivered to your inbox daily even get on lists to get things like Rita's recipes sent to you in the mail we're back with another full hour for many of you listening on the ewtn global catholic radio network it's three minutes till It is Thursday, the 27th of July. Let's begin this morning by praying an act of love in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh my God, I love you above all things with my whole heart and soul because you are all good and worthy of all love. I love my neighbor as myself for the love of you. I forgive all who have injured me and I ask pardon of all whom I have injured. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, good morning to you all. It is the Sunrise Morning Show as we head towards the end of the month of July. I think it officially ends on Monday. Uh, so uh, we've still got a few days left, but we're glad that you're along. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Dr. John Bergsma will discuss the church in the Song of Songs. Now, you just thought it was a romance, but, well, you weren't wrong, but turns out 
that uh, a lot of church fathers and thinkers and doctors and mystics through the years have looked at the Song of Songs and said, hey, that's Christ in his church. Father Philip LeRae will uh, be with us. There are more and more questions uh, on the legal side of how to treat artificial intelligence. Of course, we know the difference between a people and a robot, but Father Philip LeRae will talk about how uh, efforts to try and get AI uh personhood and receive its own patents have kind of muddied that water along the way. Things to kind of be aware of as we try and reassert what it means to be a human being uh, from a Christian perspective in that world. Gary Machuda will join us as well from Hands-On Apologetics. Also, Andrew Pettiprin uh, will look at, uh, well, he'll look back to his background. He was a former Anglican priest and how uh, Anglicanism as a tradition has differed from Catholicism over the past century or so on the question of contraception and natural family planning and all that fun stuff. So, stay with us if you can. Right now, it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates again. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell announced a quarter of a percentage point increase yesterday, saying the central bank continues to be committed to bringing inflation down to a 2% goal. He said inflation has moderated somewhat, but there's still a, quote, long way to go. Officials pushed rates to their highest level since 2001, while also leaving the door open for future rate increases. It's the 11th rate hike since March of 2022, but does follow a pause last month. Fed also said to reporters yesterday that the Fed is no longer forecasting a U.S. recession this year. More than 100 million people across the U.S. are now under heat alerts. Mark Mayfield reports. Officials say that record-breaking temperatures will continue in the southwest because of a heat dome that's staying over the region. The heat wave will affect the northern part of the country this week, with New York City expecting record highs in the upper 90s on Thursday and Friday. Officials say that Philadelphia, Boston, and Washington, D.C. could experience dangerous heat, with the temperatures reaching the triple digits. I'm Mark Mayfield. A former intelligence officer turned whistleblower says Americans are being kept in the dark about UFOs. In a testimony before Congress yesterday, David Grush said the U.S. government is covering up a program that collects and reverse engineers UFOs and has found, quote, non-human biologics at crash sites. He said he interviewed officials with direct knowledge of the program. Grush also accused the military of misappropriating funds to shield the operations from Congress. Meanwhile, ex-Navy pilot Ryan Graves told lawmakers that he and dozens of other pilots have observed UFOs carrying out, quote, unexplainable maneuvers. The Iowa Supreme Court is going to weigh in on the state's recent heartbeat law. The high court announced this week it will take up Governor Reynolds' request to Allow the new law to take effect. A district court judge had temporarily halted the new law, which bans abortion at the detection of a fetal heartbeat. Pro-abortion groups, including Planned Parenthood, had filed legal motions against the new law. The state Supreme Court will likely decide the issue during its next term, which runs from this September through June 30th of next year. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has said Christians in the Holy Land do not need special protection Just respect for their rights. 
From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Vandalisms targeting churches, cemeteries and Christian properties, in addition to physical and verbal abuse against Christian clergy, have seen an upsurge in Israel in the past months amid ongoing political tensions within Israeli society and re-escalation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The most recent incidents have seen extremist Jews attempting to occupy churches in Haifa. Speaking to Vatican News, Cardinal-elect Pierbattista Pizzaballa confirmed that acts of religious intolerance are not new in Israel but have significantly increased in recent times, especially in Jerusalem. According to the Latin Patriarch, the violence involves new generations of Israeli settlers in the occupied territories who have grown in a social-political context of violence and polarization fueled by some extremist religious leaders. The situation, said the Patriarch, is making Christian communities more and more nervous. However, he said Christians in the Holy Land don't want special protections, but only respect of the fundamental rights that a democratic state should guarantee to all its communities. Although the current Israeli government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is not per se anti-Christian, Patriarch Pizzaballa noted it has contributed to create a climate of tension and animosity in some circles of Israeli society. However, he said there are reasons of hope because these incidents have spurred strong reactions even from Jewish religious leaders. I believe that over time this awareness of the problem will bear fruit, the patriarch said. I am Lisa Zengarini. U.S. women's soccer team finished with a 1-1 draw against the Netherlands in its second World Cup group stage match yesterday. Team USA returns to action Tuesday against Portugal. And singer Sinead O'Connor has died at the age of 56. Her family confirmed her passing in a statement to Irish media, saying they are devastated. Of course, O'Connor had a rather difficult relationship with the Catholic Church. She was criticized back in 1992 when she ripped up a picture of Pope St. John Paul II on Saturday Night Live. May she rest in peace. Matt. Indeed. Well, you know, when that happened, I was a Protestant, and I uh, I cheered her for it. Really? Um, well, wow. yeah, I mean. Wow. There's a complicated question, but here's, you know, when I, when I pray divine mercy, I pray for people who, you know, maybe they left faith because they had a desire for justice and saw bad examples, and you just never know what can happen in those final milliseconds of mm-hmm. a person's world to, yeah. uh, I don't know. I never presume upon the mercy of God. I never assume that someone's okay. Uh, but I never assume that they're not okay. I just pray for the mercy of God for all. Yeah. Yeah. Sinead O'Connor, um, her son, um, I believe, committed suicide last year. Yeah, and, and she's been fairly open about how much darkness that had brought into her own life. Yeah. So we need to pray for the O'Connor family, certainly. Say a prayer for them today. Today is Thursday, July the 27th, and uh, we're celebrating uh, several birthdays. That of Tom Price, 
of EWTN, that of Father Mitch Pacwa of EWTN, and that of Matt Swaim of EWTN. Matt, happy birthday. Thank you, Anna Mitchell. How old are you? Are you going to admit it? I'm 44. Wow. I'll tell you about my cake. I got a cool cake. Yeah? I'll tell you about it in a little bit. Okay, cool. I look forward to hearing about it. Well, it's 10 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Dr. John Bergsma back with us on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we are continuing to unpack the Song of Songs and today getting kind of a better understanding of how this can be seen as as a metaphor for the love between God and and Israel and then by extension for the church. So, um, well, before we get to the Song of Songs itself, can you remind us the land is a huge theme throughout the entire Old Testament, is it not? It is indeed, all the way back to uh, Genesis 12, um, where God first calls Abraham and tells him to go to a land that God will show him. takes a big, big act of faith, you know, to head off to some place where you don't know and just have the Lord say, hey, I'll, I'll let you know when you get there. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, Lord, can be a little more specific. I'd like to. I'd like to put that on way, uh, ways, you know. <laughs> yep. But uh, but he goes off, and um, yes, so he comes into the promise of the possession of the land of Canaan, uh, which we know as the Holy Land, and you see that in the Song of Songs that the, the funny imagery where her uh, eyes look like the pools of Heshbon and she's compared to, uh, you know, Mount Carmel and, um, you know, the Tower of Lebanon and these different things. These are, these are just uh, prominent uh, landmarks within the promised land. And one of the dimensions of the song is that in, in one sense, the bride is the land of Israel is this um, uh, promised, uh, you know, uh, in in a way, in in the Bible, the 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 promised land is a kind of Eden, a kind of Garden of Eden. But uh, the garden and the bride are are very s- closely associated, and oftentimes the song will speak as if the body of the bride is a garden. Yeah, this is super interesting to me. You've got a handy little list here of uh, the various spots in Israel, the various landmarks in Israel that are mentioned here. The plain of Sharon in the north, the slopes of Gilead east across the Jordan River, the Tower of David in Jerusalem, the territory of Lebanon in the north, the wealthy cities of Terza, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Terza in the north and Jerusalem in the south, the pools of Heshbon, as you mentioned, in the land of Jordan to the east, the Tower of Lebanon in the north near Damascus, Mount Carmel on the western seacoast. What are we to make of all of that? Well, we're to make that um, God's covenant promises are sure. He made a covenant with the ancestor of the people of Israel that uh, that they would come into the possession of this land. And under their great leaders like Joshua and Solomon, they possessed all of these uh, places. Those were the boundaries in the east, west, north, and south. And uh, so God's covenant promises are 
sure. And uh, ultimately, you know, this is going to point forward to um, to the church, and the church is given not just the land of Israel, but even more expansive. Um, you know, at the end of Matthew, uh, our Lord sends the twelve, who are like twelve new patriarchs of a new Israel, not just out to the land of uh, of Canaan or the Promised Land, but you know, out into all the world to make disciples of all nations. And so, now Jesus Christ and the Church lay claim to all seven continents, and the whole globe can become a Garden of Eden because. The tree of life, which is the Eucharist, and the river of life, which is baptism, are extended everywhere throughout the globe, everywhere where there is a Catholic Church. It's really incredible. So then, looking at the Song of Songs again, how do we see God as the beloved bridegroom? Indeed. So the beloved, of course, the word for beloved is David in Hebrew. And we can see that there's this theme that we're all very familiar with from the prophets like Hosea and Isaiah of God as husband and Israel as wife. But oftentimes in the Bible, uh, the Davidic king or the son of David as sacred king, he was kind of a stand-in for God, and he represented uh, God's what you might call husbandly or, or bridegroom nature. And so we see, for example, in 2 Samuel 5, when David first becomes king of Israel, they come to him, and the, the Israelites come to him and say, we are your bone and flesh, echoing the words of Adam and Eve's relationship from Genesis 2. And um, Psalm 45 portrays the son of David as this very desirable bridegroom, all dressed in wonderful robes and smelling great with all kinds of... Uh, cologne, as it were. Mm -hmm. And uh, it even refers to him as God at one point. It says, your throne, O God, shall endure forever. And that's kind of provocative, but it's anticipating, of course, a time when the son of David, the king, is actually going to be God and going to be our bridegroom. And when we see Jesus wrapped in robes of linen and, and smothered in, in the cologne of myrrh and aloes in, uh, in John 19, and laid in the womb of the earth in the Holy Sepulchre at his death, we recognize that, oh, Jesus now is the one greater than Solomon, the most desirable bridegroom who's giving his body for his bride, the Church. Wow. We'll leave it there and uh, look forward to the next time when we discuss the Song of Songs in the Temple of the Body, which uh, yeah. is another super interesting insight into the Song of Songs that you can read about in Love Basics for Catholics, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Dr. John Bergsma. Doc, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to you next time. I look forward to it. All right, 17 past. We got traffic and weather coming up next. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? 
longing for joy, want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Just to... Did I say traffic and weather? Around this time during our local hour, we do local traffic and weather. And Anna Mitchell, since you said it, now you have to give weather reports and traffic reports for every (laughs) single affiliate of the 400 affiliates. (laughs) You got to tell us where the traffic is. I'm betting traffic is pretty bad. Our listeners in Billings, Montana need to know the traffic (laughs) and weather for that. I mean, there's... If you want to know Cincinnati traffic, I can pull that up for you. We're on But that's about... It's about where I am. Traffic looking fine in Cincinnati right now. Actually, there's your one. I just pulled report. up the yeah. I just pulled up the, the map. What's what are the headlines? <laughs> the Federal Reserve has decided to raise interest rates by a quarter of a po- of a point again. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has said Christians in the Holy Land do not need special protection, just respect for their rights. As vandalism continues against Christian churches there. And the president of the World Youth Day Foundation recently paid a visit to Bethlehem to visit young people in the Holy Land unable to travel to Lisbon next week. Next newscast at half past the hour, about 10 minutes from now. Uh, Anna Mitchell. um, You're going to tell me uh, about your cake. We got a cake. Uh, My son made the cake from scratch. Ooh. He made the cake part and the icing part, and he piped the design on top of it. You know what he made me? What? He made me a Cincinnati Reds baseball <gasps> cake. It's a round Aww. cake, white, and it's like got the little baseball seams on it and a Cincinnati Reds C in the middle of it. On the side of it, he put my age, which is <clears throat> 44 years old. Nice. 44, also the number of Ellie de la Ellie Cruz. Ellie de la Cruz. Maybe a de la Cruz birthday cake. Wow. Pretty Good cool. Good Thanks, man. Now, tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Oh, sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. Whatever may befall me, Lord, though dark the hour may be, in all my woes, in all my joys, though naught but grief I see, O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. When those I loved have passed away, and I am sore distressed, O sacred heart of Jesus, I fly to thee for rest. In all my trials, great or small, my confidence shall be, unshaken as I cry, dear Lord, I place my trust in thee. This is my one sweet prayer, dear Lord, my faith, my trust, my love. But most of all, in that last hour, when death points up above, O sweet Savior, may thy face smile on my soul all free. Oh, may I cry with rapturous love, I place my trust in thee. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Father Philip LeRae from Humanity 2.0 and uh, with the increasing news about artificial intelligence in just about every area of life. It's always great to have these conversations and figure out where the church stands and what it means to be a human being. Father, welcome back. Good morning, Matt. Great to be back. I feel like every morning I wake up to about 20 new ethical issues related to artificial intelligence, Uh, but this one has to do with um, AI and patents. So we see that uh, AI can uh, be programmed, as it were, to solve problems, and some of those problems may be things that don't already have patents on them, uh, the, the problem solution, that is. Uh, can an AI, uh, well, I guess if, if you could start us off, like where's the conversation on if an AI can be granted its own patent for quote-unquote being an inventor? It depends on what country you're talking about. Actually, the case that we are looking at uh, has been given a patent in South Africa, but it's been denied so far in the U.S., and the inventor of the AI is going to the Supreme Court, and I think he'll lose the case. But I'm not a lawyer. I mean, you have to understand the complexities of the, the laws involved. But from what I gathered, it's because the AI does not have a legal status. It's not a legal entity. So it it really doesn't, they're not too concerned about the AI per se, but what is its legal status? Now, copyright is different because copyright is recognized automatically without legal status. And so he may win that uh, argument. Uh, And I know in France, AIs have come up with uh, pictures, and there's even one that wrote a play. Uh, There's one that wrote a symphony, and they have copyrights given to the AI. So as we go on, and as these AIs get better and better and more creative, this is going to be a huge argument. So if you would like philosophically, are we going to treat AIs as if they were conscious? as if they were able to create something and then recognize their right over their own creation. 
And uh, Matt, I I don't know the answer to that. Well, I don't know where the the courts are going to go on that, but I do know that that raises a whole bunch of different kinds of problems because let's say a guy wants to program a robot girlfriend <laughs> and marry them. It, you can't yeah. marry them unless they have rights and legal standing as a as a person, right? I mean, this opens all kinds of doors. Exactly. And Ray Kurzweil says once general AI gets to the point where it simulates a conscious human being, we are probably going to grant it rights. Now, what you know, what Ray says simulate, he says it doesn't have to be conscious because I don't think AIs will ever be conscious or self-conscious, probably the better word. But it can simulate that to such an extent that we will grant it, we will recognize that it has rights just like we do. And so that's going to be fascinating. Let, let me give you a quick example. Uh, Google came up with the technology for self-driving cars and it's been around for a long time. Now, the reason that this has not become mainstream is because it's very difficult to decide who's responsible for an accident. In one of these self-driving cars, there is no uh, driver. It, it, there is, there's no steering wheel, in fact, and it gets in an accident. Who's responsible? And Elon Musk had this problem, too, uh, when someone even actually died in a, a self-driving Tesla car. Is Who's responsible? Is it the owner of the car? So you, you buy the self-driving car, you get in an accident, someone dies. Are you going to jail? Is it Google that created the car? Uh you know, it's it, it, it. I don't think there's a an answer to that yet, and so I think that's why some cities like Phoenix, Arizona, has allowed self-driving cars. Others, I think, are saying, "Wait, until we figure out the legal ramifications, we can't let this technology get out there." So Elon, for example, has self-driving cars, but he makes it 98 percent self-driving and so the the owner is still two percent responsible so that that's what the how he solves the legal problem but well you're right it's getting it's getting complex out there it's getting super complex and uh, this is why we kind of have to keep on going back to this idea that no matter how um convincing these things will be uh you know we're not we haven't created the technology to create a robot soul <laughs> as, as it were um but you've brought up an interesting question because you know the legal things uh you know that's 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 one aspect of it but you know you and I are practicing catholics and uh i got to attend to my own sins and if they are mortal it is because they have met three conditions right uh grave matter full knowledge deliberate consent it seems to me and i'm i haven't thought this all the way through as i'm asking it but you uh, 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 an ai could certainly engage in something that would be grave matter it may even through its programming have sort of an internal knowledge of the gravity of the matter but consent is a really i would think a very difficult thing to think about in terms of programming i mean not that a robot can like go to confession and be absolved but i mean these are i don't even know what i'm asking here i mean it's so complicated well i'm just waiting for someone to bring me a robot and say can you baptize this father Oh, well, I mean, I, uh, I wouldn't know what to say. I'll but anyway, what, they're not going to ask you to baptize it, but they may ask you to marry it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great talking with you, Matt. All right. Well, thank you so much, Father Philip Luray. And we continue to look at these issues. And it's a reminder of why important it is, uh, why, why it is so important 
to understand what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. So uh, as we try and play God a little bit with some of this AI stuff. You can find Father Philip LeRae and all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Again, that's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Enter your email address when you're there, and you can get show notes delivered to your inbox daily, including uh, prayers that we use at the beginning of the hour, recipes from Rita Heikenfeld, and a whole lot more. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Federal Reserve is no longer forecasting a U.S. recession this year. That's what Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told reporters after the central bank raised interest rates by another quarter of a percentage point yesterday. He said inflation has moderated, but there's still a, quote, long way to go to get it down to their 2 percent goal. Officials pushed rates to their highest level since 2001 yesterday while leaving the door open for future rate increases as well. This is the 11th rate hike since March of 2022. It does follow a pause last month. The massive heat wave continues today, putting more than 140 million Americans under heat alerts. Temperatures could close in on triple digits in places like New York City and Washington, D.C., while Potentially dangerous heat starts to spread into the Midwest. Missouri, Iowa, and Indiana are all under advisories, while areas like Miami, El Paso, and Phoenix continue to roast. The White House is not saying much after Hunter Biden's plea deal involving tax and gun charges hit a snag yesterday. Mark Mayfield reports. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked several times about the case involving the president's son, but only said he's a private citizen and that it's a personal matter. She added that the president and first lady love their son and support him as he continues to rebuild his life. Hunter was expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor counts of willful failure to pay income taxes as part of a deal announced last month with the DOJ. But the judge said she was not ready to accept the deal and asked both sides to file additional briefs explaining the plea deal's legal structuring. The hearing ended with Hunter Biden pleading not guilty. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Department of Justice is filing paperwork asking a judge to order Texas Governor Greg Abbott to have a floating barrier in the Rio Grande removed. DOJ attorneys asked the court to order the barrier removed along with anything used to anchor it. They also asked the state of Texas not to install any future barriers while the case is pending. Earlier this week, the DOJ sued the state of Texas over this floating barrier. There will be a briefing today at the Holy See for plans for the Pope's visit to Portugal next week for World Youth Day. The Holy Father will be joining young people for the events in Lisbon, which run from August 2nd through the 6th. The president of the World Youth Day Foundation recently paid a visit to young people in the Holy Land who are unable to travel to Lisbon next week. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The General Secretariat of Christian Youth in Palestine organized a mass in Bethlehem on the 22nd of July, presided over by the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal-elect Pierre Battista Pitabala, with Cardinal-elect Aguiar. The Holy Father has repeatedly made appeals for an end to the ongoing violence in the region and for peacemaking efforts, constantly expressing his closeness to those suffering. The future Cardinal cited reasons for his visit to the Holy land, including the Pope's words of advice. 
Cardinal elect Aguiar said the first reason is to fulfill a promise I made to the young people who came from the Holy Land to Lisbon to prepare for the pilgrimage. I told them that before the World Youth Day, I would find time to visit them, and here I am. The other reason, he said, involves what Pope Francis has always told me. Don't forget those who cannot come to Lisbon. I made that effort, he said. The future cardinal had also made a special visit to bring his closeness to young Ukrainian faithful earlier this month. Cardinal-designate Aguiar said that these young people are an example. Because of their resilience, he said, they are able to overcome all the obstacles we see. Dialogue and encounter, despite everything, he said, are possible. In his homily, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal-elect Pizzaballa, referred to the large participation of the young people from the Holy Land this year in the World Youth Day, noting, they estimate some 90 from Jordan, 50 from Galilee, 200 from Palestine, and 20 for the first time from Cyprus. The patriarch invited the young Catholics to invest their time in doing good, despite the many injustices they witness in their lives. Cardinal Aguiar also visited some of the craft workshops that made thousands of rosary beads to be distributed to World Youth Day participants. This project, carried out by Caritas Jerusalem, provided employment for many families in the city of Bethlehem. I'm Deborah Castellano. MasterCard no longer allowing credit card purchases of cannabis products, saying the federal government still considers these sales to be illegal. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What is meant by anointing the forehead with chrism in the form of a cross during the Sacrament of Confirmation? During the Sacrament of Confirmation, a bishop anoints the forehead with chrism in the form of a cross. And he's showing a few things. First, that this one who is confirmed must openly profess his faith, because a cross is something visible made for others to see. What a great call that this sacrament of confirmation is, showing that we must always be ready to display the cross to the world, because now you have been conformed to Christ through baptism, and through confirmation you have been given his very spirit. We should feel proud that we are Catholics, and while some may feel ashamed in our presence, Well, they have deserted the true standard of Christ, which is the crucifix. And so then let us act always as Catholics and be prepared to manifest our Catholicism to the world. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim and Gary Machuda. Every time I turn around, he's putting together a new cool resource or a new cool book. 
and uh, we've been going through and are going to continue to go through his book called The Gospel Truth, and uh, it's how we can know what Christ taught. Turns out you can actually know that. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So your first chapter is uh, titled, Something Happened. So (laughs) uh, in regard to the something that happened, I, I think that it's something that we kind of all know, but what what is the significance? Why do you uh, kind of bring this uh, open by really talking about the gospel truth as surrounding like an event that really did happen? Yeah, well, I you know I've come to the conviction that we're at a point in today's society where most people don't even know who Jesus is. Uh, they may have heard his name probably in some bad context, but. They don't really understand who he is, and even more important, why is he important? Why should you even care about what he said or did? And so what I wanted to do, I I wanted to kind of make this book a soup-to-nuts type book where it's available to non-believers who are maybe interested in in Christianity, and also Catholics and Protestants and, and Christians who want to defend the Gospel. So the first thing I needed to address was, why is Jesus important? And and why should we even focus on this particular figure? So, uh, you know, I thought the best way to do that is to show there's something strange that happened in first century Judea that kind of affects all of human history, and it surrounds this this uh, rabbi named Jesus. Well, and I love the way that you, you talk about this, that it happened. It's, you know, we— We'll live 2,000 years removed from the historical events of this, and uh, so for us, uh, Jesus becoming incarnate and dying and rising is something that always has been. I mean, what a thing to think about, uh, to be in a situation to have been alive in that time before it happened, and then to witness it happen. I mean, it's weird, but this is the reason that Luke's gospel starts the way that it does, by telling you what year or what politician was in charge of what region seems like meaningless details, but it's really kind of get your mind, getting your mind to, to wrap around the idea that this happened. Um, like it is a real historical event. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And it still reverberates today. I know. In fact, uh, Matt, one of the, the things I like to throw out to people is, do you know there's an ongoing miracle that's observable to everybody around the world that you could verify right now that uh, most people don't even realize? And that is the fact that we have the Catholic Church that's spread throughout the world, and this has been around for 2,000 years, you know, and which goes against every, uh, every expectation, you know, that some, something could persist, a, a government, a teaching, a church— through all these times, you know, in spite of all the sinfulness, in spite of all its enemies. And, uh, you know, why does this Church still exist? Well, you know, and then in the book I I go to, well, there was this prophecy that was known by pagans and Jews in the early uh, centuries that there would be a ruler that would arise from Judah, and uh, he would be the governor of the inhabitable earth. You know, all the earth would be under his dominion. And so you just had to put two and two together, you know, who fulfilled that prophecy. And the only contender, really, is Jesus. Well, you talk about this uh, in, in light of, you know, Jewish prophecy, in light of the, um, 
the the situation in the Roman Empire uh, in light of how the Romans were kind of trying to figure out what the Jews were were hoping for and how that you know shaped the way that they governed this little strange piece of the Roman Empire where uh, you know the children of Israel were living. But you know it, it is interesting, and you point this out at the end of your chapter here that there are a lot of uh, ancient histories out there. Right. There are also a lot of religious texts out there. In what way do the Gospels kind of help, you know, synthesize the idea of telling an ancient history with the idea of promoting a religious text? Because you've got really kind of both of those things happening in the Gospels. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what makes the Gospels very interesting. Of course, you know, in the ancient world, you have Homer, uh, and they were considered sacred texts, too. You know, and it is a quasi-history. But, you know, the, the Gospels, again, are these strange books that actually fall more in the category of uh, contemporary biography. Um, and it, with a little bit of history, you know, ancient contemporary history as well. And so, you know, I started off the book saying, okay, this strange figure that seems to have impacted human history, and still does, uh, we have some documents from them, and the documents appear to be biographical and uh, contemporary histories. So, you know, that's when I invite people, hey, let's take a look at these documents that are called the Gospels and see what they have to say about whether or not uh, there was an effort to pass on accurate information about this this person named Jesus of Nazareth. You know what's fascinating, and we're going to get into the reliability of the Gospels in future chapters and that sort of thing, but it is interesting that if an archaeologist were to find something today that's an inscription of something that is claimed to have happened uh, in some era when somebody was king of something and some story is told of a governor interacting with somebody or a person interacting with another person, the immediate assumption would be like, oh, wow, we now know what this person in this era was doing. (laughs) And, you know, in some ways, because Scripture is so familiar to us and so widespread, uh, you know, modern academia and the popular mind tends to think the exact opposite about the most enduring and most widespread account, uh, and in this case, firsthand account of these events. It is incredible. um, I mean, that this is is not— stuff that is written by people, I mean, even some of the Old Testament stories were like, oh, maybe this was written hundreds of years after the actual events. In the case of the Gospels, we got eyewitness accounts. Yeah, yeah, and that's very different from, uh, you know, there's this figure, Apollonius of Tyana, who uh, was a purported uh, wonder worker that lived in the first century. And his account was written like a couple of hundred years after he lived in a tales, lots of uh, obvious fables and fabrications and so on. And yet, you know, atheists and, and non-believers today will, will say, you know, hey, this is a real figure, and he's just like Jesus, so Jesus isn't important. But uh, like you said, uh, there's evidence that this is extremely early and that there really was a concerted effort to accurately record what Jesus said and did. Well... I can have reasonable conversations with people who disagree with the principles of Christianity or with people who say, I don't believe that Jesus was a good teacher or I don't believe that Jesus did all these miracles or I believe that people, you know, embellished their experience of him. It's a little bit harder 
to swallow the argument from somebody who says Jesus of Nazareth did not exist because we kind of got yeah. some pretty strong evidence that he did. <laughs> so, um, in regard to the uh, reliability of the accounts of what he did, we're going to get into that. And I'm really excited to get into that in future weeks. But Gary uh, Machuda, if our listeners want to find your book, we've got hands-on apologetics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, it's a quarter till. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Today on More to Life, Carrying Your Cross. Challenges wearing you down. Let us help you rise up again. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Andrew Pettiford now joining us, former Episcopal priest uh, who entered the Catholic Church a few years back uh, and has written for all kinds of groups along the way uh, since becoming Catholic, including the Word on Fire, Catholic World Report, and others. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back with you, Matt. All right, so I want to focus today on the tradition uh, through which you came on your way to the Catholic Church, that is the the Anglican Communion. Of course, you were an Episcopalian. On this question of what the Church, the Catholic Church says about contraception and all that, uh, what was the progression of ideas in the Episcopalian Church, and where did all that come from, and how was it decided? Yeah, well, that's a that's a great question, Matt. You know, like you, I, as you just said, I came into full communion with the Catholic Church from uh, from Protestantism, and I always assumed when I was a Protestant, if I saw a big van full of children, that they were Catholics. You know, because Catholics, uh, if if anybody was going to have a big family, it would be Catholics, and Protestants tended to have smaller families. But of course, that didn't used to be the case. It used to be the case that 
Protestants had big families, too. Um, but what happened was Protestants, in particular Anglicans, the Anglican Communion, the Church of England, the Episcopal Church, kind of led the way in normalizing contraception. It began in 1930, way back in 1930, at a gathering called the Lambeth Conference, which is a, a gathering that the bishops of the Anglican Communion have every 10 years to debate different aspects of the Church's life. And at that gathering, um, that was the first time that um, any group of Christians on earth made um, a kind of exception for uh, the use of artificial contraception. Now, this was meant to be um, uh, an exception used in very limited cases, only among married couples. And in fact, there's even an episode of the show Downton Abbey, where um, a character in the 1930s, shortly after when this conference would have been, goes to a drugstore to try to procure some contraception and is asked all kinds of invasive questions because it was not meant to be universally practiced. But of course, what happens is once you um, crack the door open a little bit, then it's easy to kick it in the rest of the way. 20 years later or so, you have um, not only bishops in the Anglican Communion, but all kinds of Protestant leaders, including even Billy Graham, talking about the problem of overpopulation, actually not only the permissibility of contraception, but the moral duty of some families to use contraception to reduce the population. It, it was a slippery slope. The old slippery slope argument is, is a real thing. And um, unfortunately, it was my former tradition of Anglicanism that kind of led the way for uh, the rest of, of Christianity towards uh, quite down this slope. Well, what's, what's fascinating about this is I grew up in the sort of Wesleyan holiness tradition, the I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run around with the girls who do kind of Christianity. And this was, like, not even a moral question. It was oh, yeah. a, a question of stewardship, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if anybody had more than the rest of the congregation thought was— if, if, if it looked like somebody was going on the bounds of their, beyond the bounds of their own you know, ability to be good stewards, you know, they'd get kind of whispered about. There was no question of, of, of morality, but you, you, you'll sometimes hear people who are you know, trying to uphold Catholic teaching talk about— this watershed moment in 1930 uh, at the Lambeth Conference where the Anglican Communion opens the door to this. But I went back through and read the documents and the statements, and it is shockingly small. This oh, yeah. is not like an earth-shaking thing. You don't really see like a massive turning of the tide in that moment like you would expect to see. Right, but it's, you know, it's the the, the small ground game in a, in a sense, isn't it? I mean, the you know, this under, underlines one of the problems with Protestantism, in a sense, is that, you know, if if ultimately, even though it's grounded in these principles and it's, it's meant to be, you know, uh, done in in the holiest of ways, it's still ultimately my conscience is is the authority, um, rather than a living authority that imposes something upon me, imposes obligations upon me, and. You know, this was really, I think, at the heart of what uh, the Church was wrestling with in the late 60s when Pope Paul VI finally um, weighed in on the matter in his kind of infamous encyclical letter um, on our famous uh, Humanae Vitae, of course. Humanae Vitae. Uh, yeah, uh, where, you know, and, you know, that was such a shocking and controversial thing, even for people who were uh, in the Catholic Church uh, at the time. But it was it was Pope Paul VI, in a sense, like saying the Catholic Church doesn't work according to the principle where you're your own authority, even if you have a well-formed conscience uh, with regard to these matter, matters of morality. But, you know, the, the Church needs to be there to set the tone for the rest of us so that we know how to live our lives. And, um, 
it created this real watershed moment in the midst of what we're now we now call the sexual revolution, where, as you say, in almost every other aspect of life on Earth, at least in the Christian world, artificial contraception had become completely non-controversial, and and in fact, it was even something to be encouraged. But um, but Paul VI and the Catholic Church decided no. Um, the same principles that have applied throughout throughout history uh, that um, conform to the the natural law obtain even now um, that we we can't you know adapt our understanding of what sex is for um, simply because we you know we we find that we have the means at our disposal to limit that so yeah it, it the the path was blazed by the Anglican Communion but in some respects the Catholic Church was able to in in um, the words of the the famous Catholic conservative commentator William F Buckley. Uh, the, the Catholic Church decided to stand athwart history and yell, stop. All right, so you ready for a lightning round? Yeah. All right. I've looked through this document. I found some other stuff that the, the Lambeth Conference in 1930 said, and you tell me if the Anglican Communion still holds these things widely. Okay. Because it held them when it, when it made this tiny shift. And a simple kind of yes, no, or sort of will work. All right, you ready? <laughs> okay. Uh, the conference recommends that the marriage of one whose former partner is still living should not be celebrated according to the rights of the church. So someone who is legally divorced could not get, be remarried in the church. Uh, no, the, the Anglican Communion does not still hold doesn't that. Hold, doesn't hold, still hold that. No. Uh, the primary purpose for which marriage exists is the procreation of children. Uh, no, I, I would not say that's a very common view in the Anglican Communion or an official teaching. The conference further records its abhorrence of the sinful practice of abortion. Uh, no, sadly uh, the conference admits that economic conditions are a serious factor in the situation, but it condemns the propaganda that treats conception control as a way of fixing social and economic problems. No, sadly. Sexual intercourse between persons who are not legally married is a grievous sin. No, I don't think that would be a very common view these days. All right, I'm going to do one more, but this isn't about sex. Okay. This is resolution one of the document. We believe the Christian Church is the repository and trustee of a revelation of God given by himself, which all members of the Church are bound to transmit to others, and that every member of the Church, both clerical and lay, is called to be a channel through which the divine life flows for the quickening of all mankind. That's a beautiful sentiment. I, I hope that some of my uh, former colleagues and friends and family in the Anglican Communion believe that. Uh, but it, as we've described, there's a, a slippery slope away from, from sound uh, theological truth uh, when moral doctrine is compromised. All right. Well, thanks so much, Andrew Pettiprin, for uh, weighing in with that perspective this morning. You can find Andrew linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, along with all kinds of other great stuff. Uh, some of you put in, Anna Mitchell, I don't know if you read our Facebook page yesterday after the show, <laughs> but for the Feast of Saints, Joe, Kim, and Ann, we asked people to say what their grandparents, what they called their grandparents, or what yeah, their yeah, grandparents yeah. called them. There are some epic answers. What's your favorite? I mean, there's some Mimi's in there. There's some Mama's. I can't remember if I saw a Gam Gam. Gam There's some Gam. good answers. You guys have weird names for your families, but you know what? My it's favorite your family, is so it's Susu. Enjoy yeah. your grandparents. Yeah, I'm going to go weekend. see them tomorrow. Happy birthday, Matt. Thank you, Anna Mitchell. Happy birthday to you, too. It's not my birthday. Oh, wait. Until tomorrow, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.